You say my name right. Very few people. <laughs> I practiced a Very lot. Nice. <laughs> How culturally responsive of you. when you say children's names right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Today, we'll be discussing a research report just released by Merck about our recent cultural diversity professional development in schools survey. This report concludes a multi-year study titled Professional Development for Success in Culturally Diverse Schools, which was commissioned by our Policy and Planning Council in 2016. In this study, we looked at student demographic changes in our region and how to best support educators who work with a rapidly diversifying student body. With me today are members of our research and study team to provide some background on the study, uh, to talk us through the report, and discuss the impact we hope that it will have on policy and practice. Let me introduce everyone to you now. Uh, first, we have Crystal Thomas. Uh, Crystal is a recent graduate of the PhD program in developmental psychology at VCU. While she was a doctoral student at VCU, she worked as a research intern for Merck, where she co-developed a measure and analyzed findings for the survey report. Crystal is currently a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Virginia in the Curry School of Education. Her research primarily focuses on the association among student perceptions of classroom practices, their sense of self, and classroom engagement. She is one of the lead authors on the survey report that we will be discussing today. Crystal, welcome. Thank you. Uh, we have, to my left, Kara Jean O'Neill, who works in Henrico County Public Schools as a specialist within the Department of Professional Learning and Leadership in the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Opportunities, uh, providing division-wide professional development and con consultation on culturally responsive education practices, trauma-informed practices, restorative practices, and relationship building with students and families. Prior to taking this role, she served as a school psychologist for 18 years, providing services to students in the public school, alternative school, and correctional settings. Kara Jean piloted the first school-based mental health services model in HCPS on the campus of Virginia Randolph, and in 2015 was awarded the Christie Award for Outstanding Service to Exceptional Education Students and Families. Uh, she is a level one clinical certified trauma practitioner, has completed training with the International Institute of Restorative Practices and with Pacific Educational Group's Courageous Conversations program. Kara Jean is a proud undergraduate alumni of Randolph-Macon College and the Graduate School of Education at both the College of William & Mary and VCU. That's a, that's a pretty storied career, Kara Jean. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Laura Falcon is the assistant principal of alternative programs in Chesterfield County Public Schools. She taught secondary art for 10 years in Fairfax County and Chesterfield County before moving into administration. She has served as a school-based leader for Chesterfield for 10 years. She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts and Master's of Inter Interdisciplinary Studies from VCU and wrote her graduate thesis on cultural identity. She also received her education specialist degree from the George Washington University as the leader of Chesterfield County's Academy 360 program, her and her team provide an opportunity for 80 overage middle school students to earn six high school credits and return to their correct grade. 
She has been presenting on topics related to cultural competency on behalf of the county since 2012 and has worked with new and veteran teachers, staff, administrators, and bus drivers to leverage capacity and understanding for the changing population in the division. She has served as the chair of the CCPS Equity Committee, providing access to higher level coursework and special programs. Laura serves on this study team, is a co-author on the report, and is a two-time veteran of this podcast. Welcome back, Laura. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, and then we have Jesse Sinishal, um, who is the director of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium. Through his work with Merck, Jesse has led a wide range of applied research and evaluation projects in close collaboration with surrounding Richmond area school divisions, local nonprofits, institutes of higher education, and state agencies, including the Virginia Department of Education and the State Council for Higher Education. Uh, he has also led regional cohorts of teachers conducting action research in their schools. Jesse serves as a co-principal investigator on this study and is one of the authors of the survey report. Prior to his career as an educational researcher, Jesse spent 14 years teaching in public high schools in Chicago and Richmond. Welcome back, Jesse. All right. Good to be here. Been a while since we've had you on the show. It's been a long time. Um, and then my name is David Naff. I'm the Assistant Director of Research and Evaluation for Merck and the host of this podcast uh, for the study that we're discussing today. I helped to develop online visualizations of demographic changes in the Merck region that are available on their website. Um, and I am a co-author on the survey report. So we have a great team here today to discuss this very interesting report. Let's get started with the conversation. Uh, Jesse, can you give us some background on this study? When was it commissioned and what was the charge of the research and study team? Okay, so the report was commissioned and I had to go back and look at my notes in December of 2016. So it's been, we're coming up on three years now since the initial call at the policy and planning meeting. We need a study of um, teachers' professional development in relation to cultural diversity. The project got going soon after in the um, winter and spring of 2017. We had a study team come together, and then we presented our plan to the Policy and Planning Council in uh, the fall of the following year after doing a lot of discussions around around the topic, around what culture, cultural diversity meant to us from an educator's perspective, um, what professional development meant, and how those two intersect. And the charge of the study was really to consider this question of when we uh, recognize the changing diversity of our schools, um, what are the implications for teacher professional development? Um, and, you know, looking at this, we can see that there is a growing mismatch between um, the demographics of our student body and the demographics of our teacher workforce. And so that's sort of at the heart of this. 80% um, of the teachers uh, in K-12 nationally, and this, this seems to hold true in Virginia and regionally are white, and the student body is majority-minority now, and so there's um, increasing potential for there to be a mismatch between the teachers and the students they're teaching, um, which isn't something that um, makes it impossible to teach at all. I mean, it, there's many successful examples of this, but it does require often professional development to think about what are the best strategies when working with diverse student populations. Mm -hmm. um, and so that we, you know, we went out um, into the report with the idea that there's probably a lot of good stuff going on out there. We wanted to understand the landscape of it, but also to think about um, what would be some good intervention models, how would it, what would good PD look like, and would there be an opportunity to maybe design and implement and study some professional development that could meet this need? Mm -hmm. And so when a new Merck study topic gets identified, mm -hmm. um, it's usually because it's a, one of the prominent issues that our school divisions are facing. What do you think led this specific topic to kind of rise to the top as something that, wanted, that our divisions wanted to study a couple years ago? 
I think part of it is because uh, equity has always been an issue within public schools. Um, and I think the idea that perhaps looking at culturally responsive models might be one way of addressing the issue of equity it might be a way of kind of, you know, okay, maybe we need to rethink the way that we're delivering and thinking about um, teaching and learning in the classroom with through a, a lens of culture. And there's been, you know, a long history of research around culturally responsive teaching practices um, going back to the 90s, I think, was really when this idea of culturally relevant pedagogy was first presented. And I think there was an interest in that. I think also there have been just growing calls for um, thinking about equity across the region, both Henrico and Chesterfield have new offices um, and roles in their central offices related to equity. And I think this is right in line with that as well. I think there's a, a real interest in rethinking not just curriculum, but everything we're doing through that lens. And I think it's kind of part and parcel of that. Yeah. yeah. And um, as you heard in the, the beginning of this uh, conversation, we have uh, Laura and Kara Jean here who are both very busy and have a lot going on, but still they're serving on our study team. So Kara uh, Jean, first, what led you to get involved with this project um, and how has your connection to the study team informed your work? So when I first joined the study team, when um, the project got started, I was serving as a school psychologist in our alternative education program. And specifically, my position was developed to address disproportionality and discipline um, within our school system. And I realized pretty quickly in that position that just offering school-based mental health services, while that was really important for students, um, was not in and of itself going to solve a lot of the issues that we were having around disproportionality, and not just disproportionality and discipline, but over-representation of um, our African-American students in special education, under-representation of them in our advanced level courses. And I started to advocate with school leadership that we should be doing culturally responsive professional development for our teachers and for our leaders. And at that time, our then assistant superintendent um, agreed with me, and I was able to start providing some of that. But I quickly realized that much of what I knew was based on my own experiences of becoming a culturally responsive educator and not necessarily based on um, research. And so that when the opportunity came about for me to be a part of this research team in the study group, it was really important for me to have that um, experience and to be exposed to that and also to bring that practitioner voice to what was being done. What mm -hmm. was I seeing in the schools and how could I express that to the team so it could be something that could be examined and looked at through the study. The way that it's informed my work is the biggest thing is that I now do professional learning around cultural responsiveness uh, as my job for the county. So um, that was a that was a big change that happened, um, and being part of the study group was part of uh, the springboard for that for me for sure. I also think the opportunity to see um, how the action research component of the study group has. Uh, really provided this excellent real-world professional learning experiences for teachers and to see the growth that teachers make doing that has really informed how I conceptualize and look at professional learning, particularly around issues of cultural responsiveness. Laura, how about you? Well, what initially attracted me to the study was that this has been a lifelong passion of mine. It's something that i firmly believe in as a classroom teacher. I was always in very diverse settings. As a white female, I was always aware that I had advantages that other people didn't. But it was a choice for me to be in really diverse settings, and that's really where I thrived. So I wanted to see how much more I could do in my professional career. My graduate thesis was written um, on cultural identity, 
However, very umbrella view, very, you know, really nothing analytical at all. As you, as you all know, I'm an artist, so I think about big picture, how do things look, how do they appear. And um, in our division, as this trend, as the cultural mismatch was being more apparent, they put together some teams, train the trainer models that happened right around like 2008, 2009, and our then PD director knew that this was a passion of mine. So I was one of those trainers from the beginning, and then um, with changes in leadership, people kind of came and went, but this was still something that I was doing in the evenings for free for anyone who was willing to come and hear what this message was about. Uh, the division sent me to national training so I could come back and bring this information on. As our demographics continue to change, I feel like uh, people need to be able to have the courage to stand up and say, let's do what's right for our students and our families. And how it's informed my work, um, since I'm responsible for PD at my school, what I've learned specifically from this is with the school-based action research teams, I want people to feel good about what they're doing, so I give them lots of choice. Um, some of the things that we're working on as a team are the social-emotional learning, the culturally responsive practices. We also bring in our instructional specialists, just so it isn't me they hear all the time. And um, I think it's... One of the great things about this study is that based on the survey results, it's something like we already kind of knew, but just to see it in real life, that people don't want a one and done. They want it over time. They want to have choice. It has to be sustainable and it has to be for students. And that's how I make all of the decisions with my team moving forward. Yeah. And cultural responsiveness and equity are, are increasingly popular topics in research. Mm -hmm. um, Kara Jean, you, you had uh, alluded to this. Why do you think it's so important to get the practitioner perspective on this study? about cultural responsiveness? So I think it's important for two reasons. One is that we have a lot of practitioners, teachers, leaders, school leaders who really want to do this work but don't know how. And so I think we need to talk to them about what do you need in order to be able to do this work effectively. And then I think we also have um, people who continue to be resistant to it and I think it's important to get that perspective, too, because if you don't know what the resistance is about, mm -hmm. it's hard to make change and it's hard to shift mind shifts and it's hard to shift a culture in a building, mm -hmm. which is what is needed to really make this effective for students. And without those voices, I think we run the risk of making this something that's coming down from above and isn't relevant mm -hmm. to teachers and doesn't address the concerns and the fears, frankly, that a lot of them have about starting to engage in professional development mm -hmm. that is going to cause them to have to have some difficult conversations and have some self-awareness about some of the biases and assumptions they have mm -hmm. about students. And uh, to aid in that effort, uh, this study has been designed to try to promote understanding, but also to provide some resources so that educators can um, can use this in their in their work in a really um, sort of actionable way. Jessica, can you share some of the resources, uh, findings, and other grant opportunities that have emerged from this project? Sure. Yeah. So um, I would say the resources are kind of contained in the different components that we have laid out for the study. And, and the first part of that would be our first research initiative with this was doing an analysis of the local landscape related to this topic, um, understanding both cultural diversity and the professional development landscape. There was a report that came out that was in 2018, I think, that included 
an analysis of um, the historical trends in diversity in the region, along with um, some the maps that David mentioned that he, uh, he, you were instrumental in putting together that uh, looked at demographic changes in the region between 0607 or 0708 and uh, 1617. And what we see there is there there have been dramatic demographic changes, and so those that was a that's an example of a resource, and that's a resource that's still being used in the schools. A, a lot of folks from central offices have talked about how they've been used. They've used those in the context of conversations around around PD or around curriculum and design, um, thinking about how how significant shifts in certain schools might require reallocation of resources. If the English language population, for example, has tripled in the last ten years, we need to think about what are the implications of that. So that that was a piece. Um, out of that report also came, there was a really wonderful lit review that was conducted by Hillary Parkhouse. I wish she could have been here today, but she had prior commitment. But she was she's really been a key PI on this project, um, along with a couple of her graduate students, Zoe Liu and Virginia Macero, did a, a great lit review of PD related to cultural diversity and what the best practices were. And that laid out some principles of what makes good professional learning generally, but also what makes good professional learning specifically for the issues of culture mm-hmm. and cultural responsiveness. And um, there were seven design principles that came out of that, which were really influential in thinking about the second component of the project, which was the action research. And, you know, just uh, some of the pieces there included um, encouraging reflective practice, um, voluntary participation, attention to local cultural contexts. And these are all things that we've really tried to weave into the action research component. And we um, piloted that a couple years ago. And uh, the success of that led us to uh, move ahead and apply for a research grant to scale up that program. And so uh, two summers ago, um, Hillary and and a team of us got together um, and wrote a a proposal to the Institute for Educational Sciences, which is part of the U.S. Department of Education, to fund um, a two-year study of um, action research teams across four schools, looking at the impact of action research PD focused on cultural responsive teaching. And that program uh, project was funded, and we're right now working in um, two schools in Henrico, Cuyacuson and Tuckahoe, and then two in Chesterfield, Monacan, and Meadowbrook. Um, and that it's really exciting work. And so that's that's another piece. And that that's something that's I'm really excited about this project. It's one of the first times, at least since I've been with Merck for ten years, where we're really designing and implementing an intervention, which is exciting, where we think about research as being a, a sort of intersecting with school improvement and intersecting with maybe a more direct focus on impact. Mm-hmm. And so that's really exciting. So we'll see where it goes from here. But those I, I think they're I'm I've been really happy overall with how this project has led to, you know, two resources and, and to opportunities for um advancing the work in the schools. Mm -hmm. And all the resources that you just mentioned are available on our website. All the reports from this study are available for download uh, on our website. Same thing with the report that that just came out for the survey. Right. Um, And speaking of the survey, Crystal, that's when you came onto this team, and we've been so excited to have you working with us. Tell us more about the survey. What was the rationale for including it in the research design, and how did it come together? Yeah, so in thinking about the the region-wide Um, report that had came out, I think that it highlighted different areas of like culturally responsive teaching that we needed to think about in terms of what we put in the report. And so um, one of the very first things I did when trying to think through this survey was like going through the literature of what already exists. And what we realized was that some of the surveys were a bit older, like some of them were like in the 70s when they were trying to get at this. And so like the language was just not what we would kind of use in a survey now. 
But then we realized there was some other pieces missing in terms of some surveys were like very specific. They were very niche. So some of the surveys were like specific to gym teachers and how they do culturally responsive teaching. And so given that we have this large seven divisions, like we had to think about um, questions that could address across different subject areas and across different districts or divisions. And so part of the literature review, I found some core areas that might be of interest to our to our stakeholders. And so thinking about um, teachers' efficacy around like implementing culturally responsive teaching practices in their classroom, um, how frequently are they doing some of these practices, what are their beliefs in terms of incorporating culturally responsive practices in their classrooms. And then I think what's great about having our stakeholders involved was um, they really wanted to know more about what were like teachers and other individuals like family and community um, interactions as well. And so it was great to include that in the survey because mm-hmm. there weren't many surveys that incorporate that piece of both the classroom as well as community family engagement. And then lastly, we also had components that thought about like school support. So we know that it's one thing for someone to do something, but if they don't have the resources or feel like they're supported to do culturally responsive teaching, then that was like another area to consider as well in the survey. So yeah, we I think we went through, I think I went through about 220 items and mm-hmm. we whittled that down to about a 50 item mm-hmm. survey. Maybe, Maybe 70. 70? <laughs> <laughs> Less than two. Seventy for the teachers. I think it was <laughs> yeah. less for the admin. But um mm-hmm. like we had our groups, they would do surveys about the survey. Mm-hmm. Like how would you rank this item? How would you change this item? And so it was great getting perspectives on um just trying to make sure like the language for the survey was right and just meeting the needs of, of what our stakeholders needed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the study team provided feedback on the survey? Yes. Yeah. There's lots of feedback throughout. As they do on every survey that yeah. we put out. Yeah. Um, and why do you think it was important to interview or to survey not just teachers, but also administrators and other educators for this? I th- I think that it was a great way to kind of, it's one thing as a researcher to, I, I think that I've never taught. So as a researcher, I sometimes have assumptions of what teaching looks like. And so by having like our actual stakeholders and how that consisted of like teachers and principals and giving their perspective, it helped me to understand, for example, like our school supports, like what are some of the constraints around doing like culturally responsive PD in school? Um, And I even like consulted with some like friends that actually were in schools and like, hey, like what are some other barriers that you think you might have experienced? And so that was helpful. Or even thinking through items that were like specific to like certain like minority student populations and like understanding that like the how it the language is or even like if it was like a negatively worded item that it might be kind of it might come off as just almost like a problematic survey in a way and so um it was great getting that bird's eye view of like ah oh, well I know some of my teachers I know some of my principals or I I know people that will not take well to some of these items and so thinking through um items that were approachable but still address like what were the core questions of the survey mm-hmm. and about how many people ended up taking this survey Three over three thousand. We had over three thousand mm-hmm. responses total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty-two yeah. percent response rate across the region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which yeah. is pretty good. Yeah, for this type of survey. That's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, really rich data, and all of that contributed to this report that's mm-hmm. now available. Crystal, why don't you start us off? Talk us through the report. What does it include, and what are some of the key findings and recommendations? The report um, is is very descriptive, so it gives us. Um, Great descriptives in terms of just 
getting a general landscape of what uh, our teachers getting in terms of like professional development around cultural diversity. So the questions were grounded in like in the last year, for example, like how many PD have you received related to cultural diversity have you had? And so what we were able to do was just give a breakdown of what does this look like for our teachers in the division? Um, and what we know is that at least 70% of our teachers are getting at least one or more PD related to cultural diversity, but we still have like an outstanding 30% that haven't. And so um, some of the report kind of gets at, you know, well, who might these teachers be? Why is that? And then our survey also gets at what were some of the most common topics that teachers got. So part of what we did was not only did we ask, did you get PD? But the questions were about like, well, what was your PD about? Who delivered the PD? Mm-hmm. And so this is great for our stakeholders and thinking through um, who who's providing this. What are we focusing more on and what are some other topics that we could likely maybe think more about in terms of providing PD on? I think our most common PD was related to students with special needs. But then we also had like other topics that were common about, was it? Um, English like, learners were second. English learners were second. Mm-hmm. Was it microaggressions were another one as well? Mm-hmm. That cultural was top. competence. Cultural competence was another one. Um, so that was great in terms of thinking through like what are people getting? Um, and then we also just have other... Um, descriptives and analysis that we ran where we were then able to think about what are differences in perceptions among our teachers based on subject area. And so we were able to look at like the delineation in terms of how teachers' beliefs for English might differ for teachers that might teach like math or science. And we did find differences Mm -hmm. in thinking about um, not only like the frequency of doing these multicultural practices, but also um, just beliefs in terms of like how relevant and important it is in the classroom by subject area. And then we've also looked at differences in terms of like the number of PD ones had. So if you had um, one or zero PD, how do you differ from someone that's had three PD? And we do find in many cases that individuals that had at least three, three PD tend to endorse um, more confidence or efficacy around doing these teaching practices. They're more likely to do some of these practices compared to those that reported doing like zero or one PD in the last year. Um, so it's just really great in terms of thinking about, I think Laura might have mentioned, like instead of like thinking about like one and done, like thinking through if we do multiple PD throughout the year, how does that might then affect our teachers in terms of how they implement this mm. in the classroom? Yeah. And Jesse, what are some of the key things that stood out to you from the report? And what are some of the recommendations that came out of it? The recommendations fell into four categories. One is increasing engagement. As Crystal said, I think I remember the statistic exactly. 38% of teachers reported having zero PDs related to this topic over the past year, which is a large portion. And I also think about that in the context of we had a 22% response rate, but 80% of the teachers didn't open it. And are the teachers that open that survey more likely to have participated in, you know, culturally responsive PD? So I think the number might be even higher than 38%. But there's a lot of um, demands on teachers' time related to PD. And and do we, as a region within our divisions, feel like this is of primary importance, that there should be more engagement? And so we have some recommendations related to that. The second set of recommendations are related to the design and facilitation of PD. Some of that comes out of the survey about teachers' experiences of what what they have had, but also comes out of the lit review we did and really thinking if we're going to do this and we want to do it well, if we want it to be more than the one and done, we want it to be sustained, we need to rethink the ways that we um, that we approach this. I think some of the um, perspectives that were reflected in the findings also suggest that 
the PD needs to include things like addressing addressing resistance or addressing people that might have misunderstandings of what cultural responsive teaching is, and that needs to be integrated into the way that we think about PD. So I think there's, I would say that for anybody that's running PD around this topic, reading through the survey and looking at the findings might be useful in um, thinking about how, how to facilitate. The third piece is around teacher recruitment and pre-service education. Um, with recruitment, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's something we all know, which is we need more teachers of color in the schools, and that's going to that's gonna help out um, significantly. That's not like the only thing that matters, but it, it de- definitely is going to help out in, in many situations. And in pre-service education, we need to think about um, laying the groundwork for this. Are all courses addressing this in, in, their, in their curriculum in, in, when teachers are in their preparation programs? Mm-hmm. Or is it just kind of cordoned into one course? Okay, here's, your, here's the unit on culturally responsive teaching. Or is it integrated into your methods, into your um, classroom management classes, into your foundations classes, all the, all the things that sort of you know, um, define the body of knowledge that teachers should know coming into schools? Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have recommendations for research, future research and evaluation. I think there's a lot of, you know, the survey raises more questions than it answers in a lot of ways. And I think there's a lot of follow-up that we could do from that. Maybe conducting the survey on an annual or biannual basis um, for tracking uh, progress in this area. If only 38% of teachers are participating, uh, or 38% of teachers are not participating at all, if we put some initiatives in place, could we improve that number? Um, and will we see concurrent um, increases in teachers' feeling of efficacy or their feeling of school support for these pieces. Mm-hmm. All of those are measured on the survey. So it could be a, a tool for evaluation as districts are rolling out um, new initiatives. It could be a key piece of understanding whether those are working or not. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of next steps with mm-hmm. this pro- with this uh, report. Lauren, Jean, how do you feel like your school division could use the survey and its findings moving forward? Um, well, I've already been using the maps ever since they were created. And I think when presenting topics like this that can be a little challenging, you know, can create some resistance. The data doesn't lie. And especially whenever you're showing a time frame of 10 years to show really just within your individual school zone or within your entire division how much those demographics have changed, but how our teaching population doesn't look any different, um, then you can connect it to student achievement data. You can look at all those other things we've been discussing. People, in my experience, generally respond whenever they see the data or maps in that case. So I would like to see our entire division using those more often, also with our families and communities, even with the school board. Um, We have five brand new school board members that were just elected. And um, personally, I would also like to see the results of the school-based action research teams. Those are some movers and shakers in those schools, and I'm really excited to see them take the lead, maybe share their findings with other schools across the division. And the thing I'm most excited about is to see the students, the effect on students. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd love to, just me personally, I'd love to see, um, you know, some pre-survey, some post-survey with those specific teachers who are engaged in that action research, because to me, it's all about the students. I've been working with students in a variety of capacities over the years on these topics. And whenever you give students a chance to talk, they will tell you exactly how they're feeling in the classroom. And to me, it's something that you can't ignore. Definitely the recommendations and the research that was done around the design and facilitation of effective professional development as someone who is charged with developing our multi-year professional learning plan around cultural, cultural responsiveness and culturally responsive teaching, having that information to reflect on, rely on, and integrate into the work that I'm doing has really been instrumental. The focus on 
resistance has also been extremely helpful for me because that's real. I mean, I do this this type of um, work with teachers and administrators on a daily, weekly basis, and there is always resistance in the room. Um, so being able to have some research and some recommendations to say, hey, this is what the research shows about why this is important. This isn't designed to shame you or alienate you. This is designed to think about things in a different way, and it's for what's best for students. Um, it has been really helpful for me as I start to think about how to design um, professional development sessions that address resistance and also allow for growth and differences of opinion to be expressed mm -hmm. um, through those sessions and to have that opportunity for dialogue. One of the things that has become really apparent to me really just in the last few weeks is how important that pre-service piece is as well. Again, I think that these teachers have gotten great um, instruction um, through their undergraduate programs and how to be good teachers, how to design good instruction, what that looks like in their classrooms. But maybe there hasn't always been that opportunity to have that dialogue around assumptions and biases and how do I interact um, with students who come from different backgrounds from me. I think that could go a long way. And Within that, also taking that a step further and thinking about where does some aspect of like culturally responsive coaching come into play as well. So it's one thing to do professional development around it that's, um, you know, a, a, a time that we're all going to sit together and we're going to focus on this and we're going to focus on these strategies, but then not making it that one and done. How do I then go back and follow mm -hmm. up with those teachers and provide that coaching and support that a teacher may need who is maybe really struggling mm -hmm. with how to be more responsive to the students in her his or her classroom? Um, so that's another piece of it that I see as maybe moving forward, um, something else to consider. Yeah, so maybe this could be the foundation for an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you hope people will take away from this report about culturally responsive practices in metropolitan in Richmond as well as more broadly? Well, I think it takes a commitment for this work. Like, I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work we have ahead of us. I think what's encouraging is that this report was commissioned in the first place. I mean, I think that really shows a commitment from the, from the school districts and the division leadership and, um, you know, all the folks involved that this is really important. I think that that energy needs to continue. This, this, this project, at least the formal part of this project, is kind of winding down. We're going to be still working on the action research piece. But we need to keep the momentum up on this, and I'm hoping that um, this report is just is the beginning of uh, larger initiatives around PD related to culturally responsive teaching and, and just uh, broader issues of equity in our schools. As I said before, the data tells a story, and it's there in black and white, and I hope um, people will have the courage they need to be able to look at that and be reflective and say, what do I need to do? How can I help be a part of this process? How can I help people who are resistant? How can I support my teachers in need? And know that it's a community. It's not just a person out there on their own on an island. For these folks who are committed to doing this work, it um, it's challenging, it's rewarding, but um, you know you need people who are supporting you so that you can keep doing the work you need to do for kids. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I hope is a takeaway is sometimes you hear this idea of, well, yes, we know this work is important, but we have to wait until people are ready. Um, and I think if we keep waiting until people are ready, that's never going to happen. And in the meantime, we're just going to have more and more kids who are being left behind and not getting the type of education that's really relevant to them. Um, and so 
one of the things I really hope is a takeaway from this is how important this is for all kids now. And we have to start Mm -hmm. doing it now because waiting is is just going to continue. We're just going to continue to see that data Mm -hmm. show us what it's shown us for the last many, many years. And the gaps are going to continue to be there and the disproportionality and the over and under representation is going to continue to be there. The time is now. Yeah. So when I think about the takeaways is similar to everyone else is just really just being grounded and thinking through the findings and how this affects our students. Like my research thinks about minority students' perspectives of their teachers' classroom practices. And what we know from the literature is that what teachers do can be affirming or disconfirming to students' sense of self when thinking about like their ethnic racial mm-hmm. identity um, and their subsequent outcomes in school. And so I think that from the report, I hope that teachers or even stakeholders begin to understand the importance of just allowing students to invite their home culture into the school environment, that it's not divisive. It's allowing a student to feel a sense of belongingness and a part of the classroom environment. And also just thinking through like the materials and messages, even if it's not a verbal message, what are some of these nonverbal messages that we're communicating? Because uh, they have a really big impact on our students. And so um, I hope that just by looking at the findings and um, seeing what people are doing really great at and what we're not doing as great at can hope to build a better and more fostering community in, in, in the classroom. Well, I um, I want to thank all of you for your work on this study because this has been going on for three years now. If It was commissioned in 2016. And I think that there's so many resources that have come out of this and we've learned so much along the way and engaged so many people. But um, it's also sort of set a precedent moving forward for the way that we're going to be doing research with Merck. So um, thank you for your investment in it and for for bringing us not just this research, but this specific report that just came out. Um, And we're going to need to leave that there for now. But if you want to learn more about this study, we hope that you will check out the full report, which is now available for download for free on our website at merc.soe.vcu.edu slash reports. That's M-E-R-C dot S-O-E dot V-C-U dot E-D-U slash reports. You can also check out our webpage for this study that includes links to other podcast episodes, reports, resources, and details about our approach to the research. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we hope that you will share this episode with anyone you believe could benefit from joining our discussion. Uh, We are eager to bring them to the table with us. You can access Abstract on the Merck website as well as on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, We hope that you will subscribe and leave some feedback on any of these platforms. You can also keep up to date on all Merck projects by signing up for our listserv on our website and by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck, to our research and study teams for this project, uh, to Kyle Rudd for our theme music, to Tracy Naff for our logo design, and to all of our partnering school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, Powhatan, and Richmond. Our thanks today to Crystal Thomas, Kara Jean O'Neill, Laura Falcon, and Jesse Seneschal for your service to this research over the past few years and for helping us to understand the findings and implications today. Uh, We also want to thank all the educators and leaders in our school divisions who contributed to this study, either by selecting it as a topic of importance, serving on our study team, offering feedback on our approach and findings, or providing the data we needed to effectively explore this complicated and critical issue. 
Uh, we are so grateful for your ongoing partnership and positively impacting the outcomes of students and educators in metropolitan Richmond. And of course, thanks to you for joining our conversation today. We hope that we will continue to seek innovative ways to capitalize on the opportunity of cultural diversity in our schools. My name is David Naff, and this has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.